I've been camping all my life, but there was one trip that still haunts me to this day. It was back in the early 90s. My friends and I decided to spend the weekend in the woods. It was supposed to be a relaxing getaway from the stresses of everyday life, but little did we know that it would become a nightmare. We arrived at the campsite in the late afternoon and set up our tents. The sun was starting to set and the sky was turning a deep orange. It was a peaceful scene, but I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. I brushed it off and told myself that it was just my imagination playing tricks on me. As night fell, we built a fire and sat around it, telling stories and joking around. But the silence was soon interrupted by a strange noise coming from the woods. It was this low, growling sound, like something was very angry. My friends were frightened, but I told them that it was probably just a coyote or a bear or some other type of wild animal. Now, a bear does freak me out, but they're usually afraid of humans if you make a lot of noise, so I wasn't too concerned about that. But then, the growling turned into a roar. It was like nothing I've ever heard before, and I couldn't help but feel like it was getting closer. I suggested we put out the fire and get into our tents, but my friends were too scared to move. The roar became louder, and I knew we had to do something. I grabbed my flashlight and started walking into the woods to see what was causing all of this noise. As I approached the source of the roar, I saw these two red eyes staring back at me. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. The creature, whatever it was, started to move closer and I could see that it was getting bigger. I finally mustered up the courage to run back to the campsite and warn my friends. We quickly gathered all of our belongings and started running through the woods. I could hear the creature getting closer and closer. I knew we had to keep moving. Eventually, we came across a ranger station and sought refuge there. The ranger said, unofficially, there had been reports of some strange creatures in the area, but they've never been able to identify them. We stayed at the ranger station for the rest of the night, not daring to venture back into the woods. I couldn't shake the image of those red eyes staring back at me. It was like they were burned into my mind. The next morning, we decided to pack up and head home. As we were packing, I noticed something strange in the distance. It was a figure, but it was unlike anything I've ever seen. It was tall and lanky, and its skin looked like this sickly grayish white color. I could see that it had this strange head shape and these large claws. I told my friends to be quiet, and I pointed in the direction of the creature. We all watched it in horror as it started moving towards us. The ranger grabbed his gun and stepped in front of us, but the creature was too quick. It took off into the woods, and we never saw it again. We quickly left the woods and made our way back to civilization. We told people what we saw, but nobody ever believed us. They thought we were just making it up and that we had too much to drink. I know what I saw, and it still haunts me to this day. The thought of those red eyes and that strange creature still sends shivers down my spine. I tried to find out more about what we saw, but there's never been any evidence or any official reports. It's been almost 30 years now, and the memory of that trip still haunts me to this day. I often wonder if that creature is still out there. 
lurking in the woods, waiting for its next unsuspecting prey. The thought of it keeps me up at night. I can never shake the feeling that I'm being watched. I tried to research what it could have been, but I've never found any answers. I've even gone back to the campsite a few times, hoping to catch a glimpse of it, but it's always been quiet and peaceful. But I know it's out there, waiting. I can never shake the feeling that I'm being followed. I often wonder if it's following me, waiting for me to return to the woods. I sometimes see shadows in the darkness, and all I can hear is that low growling sound, even when I'm not near the woods. I've told my story to anyone who will listen, hoping to find someone who has seen something similar, but I've never found anyone who has. I'm left with only memories and the fear that it will come for me one day. I've tried to move on, to forget about that trip, but it's just always there, lurking in the back of my mind. The thought of that creature and those red eyes watching me, they will never leave me. And so I'll continue to share my story, hoping that one day I'll find someone who can help me make sense of what I saw. Until then, I'll never be able to shake that fear that it's still out there, waiting. I need to share something with you, with all of you. I know it's going to sound unbelievable, like something you would see on the sci-fi channel or a Stephen King novel, but it's true, all of it. I just wish I still had the proof. You see, two months ago, my father passed away under very strange circumstances. My father worked for the United States government. The few times he spoke about it, he told me it was for the Department of Homeland Security, but I had my doubts. He lived a normal life, but there was a few times a year he would be gone for a full week or two. He's in his 50s and he probably could have retired with a pension, but my mother passed away when I was young. I have no siblings and I'm away at college full time, so I guess he didn't just want to be alone in an empty house all day. I'm the one who found him. He had slipped and fallen in the shower. He was dead when the paramedics arrived and it was ruled a clear accident, only I know it wasn't. I found him in the shower of the main bathroom, the one connected to his bedroom. My father hasn't used that shower in the last 10 years. I mean, never. He was a tall guy and the shower head came to his chest. He always used the guest bathroom to shower. Most of his stuff was even in there. Nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. Everyone just thought I was acting out in my grief. What could I do? I mean, I was grieving. I still am. I inherited the house and all of my father's belongings. During the winter break, I went home and began the emotionally taxing task of going through his stuff, clothes, sporting gear, and some family photos. A lonesome Christmas tree came and went, and I was finally ready to tackle his office. That's where I found it, a false compartment in his desk. It was expertly hidden, and it wouldn't have been found unless moving the whole desk like I was trying to do. Inside that compartment was a small locked briefcase made from some kind of material I didn't recognize. It was a combo lock, and after some thinking, I was able to crack it. 
It was a code that only me and my father would have known and almost made me feel like he wanted me to find it. The documents I found were life-changing, really. Reports and pictures from NASA, Homeland Security, Air Force, and even some other government agencies are written in different languages, and all of them referred to the same thing, an alien civilization residing in the Proxima Centauri system. Yes, an actual race of space aliens who had created a society in one of the nearest star systems to our own. That alone was mind-boggling. But after reading more, I began to feel a deep despair come over me. The United States seemed to refer to them as simply the Proxima Alien Civilization, or PACs, as they were called in some of the more informal documents. The United States, along with Russia and China, had somehow received communications from this alien civilization in 1977, the WOW signal. I can only guess that after initial contact, the government stepped in and took things over from there. There were even more messages after that. It took 20 years, but eventually the messages and the signals were partially deciphered. I couldn't wrap my head around the technology they used, but the gist of all the messages was that a military armada had been dispatched from the PAC civilization and that humanity had to vacate the planet or be destroyed. According to the estimates in some of the reports, it would take an armada roughly 50 years to reach our solar system, 2027, just four years from now. And I said, sci-fi movie. Apparently, the PACs have technology astoundingly superior to ours. Even the ability to travel between star systems make our nuclear capabilities seem pathetically insignificant. What's more, they seem to be capable of destroying a horrifically mass percentage of the world's population without causing any significant damage to Earth itself. It's unclear how they could do this and how the government knows this. Like any invader, they have a reason for coming. Water in liquid form, without much surprise, is one of the rarest resources in the known galaxy. It's also unclear how the PACs utilize the water, but they need it for some segments of their society to function. There were even some documents alluding to other civilizations besides the PACs that had already been destroyed. It was hard to choke down what I was reading, and I initially tried convincing myself it was just some weird work of fiction or some kind of hypothetical that the government was running. But I knew my father well, and vaguely knew about his status with the government, and deep down, I know it's all true. I never thought that I would become the steward of this kind of information. I mean, I was in school for a business degree for Christ's sake. The documents were important to my father, and I knew that I had to keep them safe. For what I didn't know, I rented a safety deposit box at a nearby bank and deposited the briefcase and records within. That was a mistake. I left them there alone for several weeks and went back to school. I came back for a personal matter, and while I was home, I decided to go take another look at those reports and try to decide what to do with them. They were gone. Other things I had left in the box, the deed to the house, and two of my father's watches were still there, but the briefcase and the documents were gone. I spoke with the bank, and they took the matter very seriously at first, but then they told me they wanted to show me some CCT video. Two weeks earlier, I, me, 
had come into the bank, shown my ID and credentials, and taken the documents from the deposit box. Only, it wasn't me. Of course it wasn't. I was at school two states over. But again, my pleas fell on deaf ears. I mean, they had a video of it, so I guess I really couldn't blame them. Over the past week, I noticed two black SUVs following me. And on one occasion, a man in a dark suit approached me, asking if I knew my father. I left town and returned to school. I'm staying at a friend's house off campus, but I really don't know what my next move should be. I mean, without the documents themselves, who's going to believe me? Between 1949 and 1969, the United States military conducted 239 open-air tests of biological agents over certain highly populated cities like San Francisco, New York, and Panama City. This isn't a theory. This isn't a conspiracy. It's a fact that the United States government has admitted to. In 1994, it happened again. You can choose not to believe that, but in my life, it is a fact. And it happened again in 2008. 1994 is important to remember. 1994 Oakville, Washington. Important because so much of that incident was mirrored 14 years later. For three weeks, a mysterious gelatinous substance rained from the sky. It made people sick. Its origins were never understood. And when local organizations attempted to study the material that had fallen from their skies, their samples they harvested disappeared. This isn't a theory. This isn't a conspiracy. It's another fact. I've done my research. If you know something I don't, something that could explain my experiences, please feel free to chime in. Maybe I don't know everything. One thing I do know, however, is the summer of 2008. I was living in Camas, Utah at the time, scenic and rural, and for three weeks in Camas, we experienced that same rain. This time, the story was buried even more effectively than before. I was driving across town when the rain started. It landed on my windshield like globs of soured milk. I was confused at the time. I wasn't as familiar with the subject then as I am now. When I activated my windshield wipers, the white substance only smeared across the glass. I had to pull over and scrape the slime off my windshield by hand. I wrapped an old wrap around my palm and my fingers so that I wasn't making contact with the weird substance. As it turns out, that wasn't enough. I still got sick. A lot of people in Camas, Utah got sick that month. Infections, mostly. A lot of us had it in our lungs. Others got it in their blood. We lost some livestock to the disease, and some families' lives were irreparably changed. For us, it was a new experience. Unfortunately, it wasn't the first time they had to cover up something like this. I gathered some of the crystal-colored jelly into a mason jar the next time it rained. I wanted some proof of what was happening. I brought it to the local hospital for testing. I thought maybe, with a sample on hand, the staff would be able to more effectively treat the dozens of us who had wandered in sick. I was right, I think, and it would have helped things if it hadn't gone sideways. There were men from the FBI there, black suits and sunglasses, 
They must have been waiting for one of us to gather a sample because of the moment I dropped it off. They had me cornered in a hospital room answering questions. When I finally got out of that interrogation, the sample was gone. I imagine it was confiscated. The hospital could only tell me that it was lost. I made a mistake after that. I tried to go to the news. They wouldn't have heard me out anyway. We were right in the middle of Summer Olympics, and no one outside of Kamas wanted to discuss anything else. Toxic rain wasn't exactly a story. It turns out, I wouldn't even get the chance to find out. The FBI met me there. Again, they were waiting. Looking back, I wonder how many other members of Kamas tried to say something to someone. I wonder how many of them were followed like I was. This time, they took me into a van and threatened my life. They convinced me that if I breathed a word of what was happening in my hometown, that I'd incite a panic. I didn't exactly agree, but I wasn't in any place to argue. Besides, the prison time they said I'd earn if I went against their instructions wasn't worth the debate. They drove me home after that. They walked me all the way to my bed. When I woke up the next morning, thankfully, they were gone. My car was in the driveway outside. I'm not sure how they got it there, since the keys were still in my pocket. Slowly but surely, everything returned to normal. The rain stopped. The slime either dried up or washed away when a real storm came through. But the incident stuck with me. When I learned of what happened in Oakville in 1994, I couldn't help but see the frightening parallels. In that incident, somebody did have the opportunity to study the jelly. They said it was man-made. I wonder if that's what I could have been dealing with. Did the government purposefully release something over Kamas that year? How could they keep it from spreading? I kept quiet for a long time. I figured I didn't have any choice. I didn't see any other reports of the mysterious white substance either. I'd figured the government had learned their lesson. They couldn't just experiment on their own people without being caught. Then I saw something in the news last year. Passaic, New Jersey, 2022. Hughes Lake turned completely white thanks to runoff from the nearby river. This time, their efforts were minimal. All they had to say was that the substance wasn't dangerous. They claimed that the river and the lake didn't intersect at all with the community's drinking water. A few comforting words and everybody stopped asking questions. But I realized that substance, I could tell that it was the same jelly I encountered. This time, poured into a river instead of across the sky. Sure enough, Passaic started reporting an outbreak of lung infections only six months later. It has to be connected, doesn't it? It's all too convenient. There are too many intersecting truths. Maybe they're testing something new, something with a longer incubation period. What do you think they're going to do with it?